0: The following podcast is brought to you by Astro Panda Productions. For more information or to find other great shows, visit astropandaproductions.com or visit the Astro Panda Productions page on blogtalkradio.com.
1: Cast episode number 181. I am your host Jeremy, and joining me today are going to be Eric, Dan, and Sam from the podcast or audio series Mars Fall. I do want to throw out that I just read a little piece of info that Marvel movies may be working on an Eternals movie. Uh, that has got me really excited after seeing all the Kirby esque designs in Thor Ragnarok. But I don't know much else about it besides that. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a commercial real quick, and then we'll come back and meet the guys from Marsfall. All right, everybody, thanks for hanging in there. Again, I'm your host, Jeremy. And joining me today from Marsfall, whose podcast you can find at marsfallpodcast.com, we have Eric Saris, the writer and director. How you doing, Eric? Good. How you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing pretty good. I am doing pretty good. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks. I do appreciate it. Yeah,
2: of course, my pleasure.
1: Also joining us is Dan Lovely, who's another writer and a voice talent on the show Marsfall.
2: Jeremy, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing quite well. How about you?
2: Doing fine, thank you.
1: And also joining us is Sam Bose Sam Miller, a voice actor and composer for Marsfall. What's happening, Sam?
0: Uh nothing much. I'm snowed in up here in northern Michigan.
1: Nice. It's it's a weird <laughs> it's a weird year for weather, but you know climate change is fake, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But anyhow, guys, um let's do this real quick for people checking us out. What is Marsfall?
3: Um, yeah, so Marsfall is an audio drama, which is just like podcasts, kind of like your show, but these are fully scripted and, um, you know, employ voice actors as well as musicians to compose original music. So it's almost like a movie in your ears. So that's what we talk about, audio drama. That's what that is. And our story is a science fiction tale that follows some of the first colonists that go to the planet Mars. They launch in the year 2047, so it's not too far away from today. And it's all about their, you know, trials and misadventures of trying to settle on this harsh frontier that is Mars. And um, they land and, you know, some things go wrong, as sci-fi stories are wont to do. And it's just basically them trying to survive on this very weird and strange planet um, that is different than the Mars we know today. There has been some kind of terraformation. There are some weird purple jungles around. So there's a bit of that mystery slipped in there, too.
1: Okay. Well, that's, that is interesting. So that was Eric that answered, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm just trying to keep voices straight in my head here. (laughs) Um, Eric, where did this idea come from? So I had been working on a science fiction TV series that I
3: want to produce someday. Uh I started studying writing about six years ago and this series was just kind of very complicated because I like to write really deep stories with lots of, you know, characters and my big fan of Game of Thrones and the TV show Lost, so I'm really into, like, that super mystery stuff. So, you know, obviously producing a TV series is very expensive. It consumes a lot of time. I mean, you need to have actors available for, you know, eight months to, you know, do a 22-episode run for a season on network television. And um, I thought of this idea about what would happen if we kind of, you know, took characters that you might find on a TV show like The Office... And you threw them on planet Mars in a survival sci-fi fantasy situation that you'd find in a show like Lost. And that I kind of like, you know, chewed on that for about a month. And then I was talking to Sam a bit about it. And we were both fans of other um, podcasts that like fictional ones like Welcome to Night Vale and similar kind of shows like that. And so he was like, we should just make this as a podcast, because it's far cheaper to produce, and it would give us a lot of flexibility that we wouldn't have to find uh, commercial producers that would control the story. We could show off all of our talents and really get a nice first group product out there. And Dan, Sam, and I have been working together on brainstorming lots of ideas and, and other smaller projects for about the last four years, I think maybe five, so... Uh, yeah, Sam and I talked to Dan, and boom, the ball got rolling. And a year and a half later, we released episode one.
1: Oh, awesome. Uh, so, Dan, you, you are a writer and a voice actor on Marsfall. What is your background?
2: So, um, my uh, I guess I'd, I'd say more acting. Um, I've, I've been acting since, um, I guess I was in like, junior high, um, where I actually met Eric. Um, and uh, <laughs> so I, I studied acting at Boston University for my undergrad. Um, lived in New York for a bit, um, did some acting there, and now I'm living in LA. Uh, however, I really got interested in writing just a few years ago, um, after taking a workshop with Eric and Sam. And I found that to be very, very rewarding. So I'd say it's at, at this point, maybe a little more 50-50, whereas before I had strictly acting, um, I really started to enjoy writing a little more.
1: Oh, we got some, something's going on with somebody's microphone back there. Major
0: interference.
3: Yeah. yeah. Oh. Sorry,
1: uh can you hear me okay? I can uh, hear you, yeah.
3: Yep. It might be me. I just I just shifted in my chair. Apologies. Guys.
1: Oh, that was are you wearing like a uh like a clip on microphone?
3: No, I'm just talking into my iPhone in my hand.
1: <laughs> oh, weird. I don't know. It sounded like somebody it sounded like a thunderstorm or something. But oh, yeah. anyhow. <laughs> Sam, what was your background before you got involved in this?
0: Uh so Originally, um, I grew up playing cello, um, and, uh, started when I was nine, um, played cello for a variety of different ensembles and, um, actually went to private boarding school in high school, as ridiculous as that sounds, uh, um, for junior and senior year of high school, um, which was actually incredible. And that kind of set me on my, my path. Um, I went to, uh, music performance undergrad um, in a few different schools across the country and then I got a job playing in a string quartet on cruise ships and I found out you know kind of wound my way to New York City and that's where I met Eric on a tour an orchestra tour to China <laughs> actually with an orchestra that we both were in in New York City. So we went to China bonded over a like I think 15 day tour over there. and um, we just realized we had a lot of common interests about um, all things, uh, geek related, uh, super deep cut um, musical references, super deep cut sci-fi, um, fantasy references. So we started world building and he had already um, you know, been best friends with Dan for several years at this point, and they have kind of created this multiverse, And, uh, together. And, um, so I kind of jumped into that with both feet and we all ended up working together in different jobs, um, around, uh, New York. I waited tables with Dan and I worked at a music publishing company with Eric for a while. And the whole time we were world building and kind of creating all these things together. And, uh, like Eric mentioned, we wanted to utilize all of our multifaceted talents, I think, as an artist. In today's society, you kind of have to have, you got to be able to wear a number of different hats. And uh, so it really let us all flex different um, artistic muscles that we had kind of trained over the years. And um, for me, I'd often wanted to do voice, uh, voiceover material, never really had gotten an opportunity to, to do that. Um, as you probably know, uh, New York City is an incredibly competitive market for any art form Um, but, uh, it was a really great kind of Petri dish where the three of us could kind of cultivate and curate our own ideas from these various backgrounds that we came
1: in from. Eric, what was your background?
3: Yeah. Um, let's see. So as Sam mentioned, I met Dan in junior high or Dan mentioned that maybe, (laughs) um, and we were both in the drama club. So that's how we got to know each other really well. Uh, but I quit acting around junior year of high school it just wasn't really for me and then dan went on to be a superstar but he'll tell you about that later and (laughs) (laughs) so uh i was though in throughout junior high and high school very very deep in music um i play i play trombone and tuba as well all sorts of styles, uh, classical band, orchestra, jazz band. You know, I would sing in the choir as well. So that was my main focus. Uh, in this I went to this public high school called King Philip, and they just had an amazing music program. So from there, I did my undergraduate at Northwestern, studying music performance. And I kept doing trombone and, comp- and music composition through the whole five years there. Then popped over to New York City to go to Manhattan School of Music where I did a two-year master's program in music performance with composition as well. And it just seems so weird being in New York city, you're exposed to so many you know, different art forms. And I, I I've always felt the call and tug of a lot of different creative passions. And there, I had been, you know, kind of came up with this idea that Sam mentioned for this show. That was a multiverse that Dan and I spent building over a few years before we even met Sam. And, I kind of realized that it started as an opera, but it it just grew within a month into a TV series. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I need to study screenwriting because I just need to figure this out. This idea just came to me. And I took a couple of workshops, studied with some private teachers, starting that about five years ago. And yeah, now I just moved to New Jersey, so I still play music gigs around the city a lot and also compose music for bands around the, uh, around the country. And yeah, I've been writing, doing some screenwriting stuff as well. So
1: that's awesome. I love when I talk to people who have moved to LA to pursue like what whatever, you know, entertainment thing it is. And you, they always, Oh yeah. And then I took a class on writing for TV shows. And I'm like, now, where does one just like bumble into that classroom? Because <laughs> I live in a small central California town. They don't have that class here. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh, okay, Let's, well, so my, my story is kind of funny. So working at that aforementioned music publishing company, uh, there's another guy there named Aramis who actually voices one of the characters on Marsfall He plays the voice of Ani Mateo. And we were just chatting, like geeking out about movies and stuff. And, uh, I mentioned that I was interested in wanting to like write because that was kind of a new thing for me. This is about five years ago. And there was like a kind of a strict policy that that company for the people working in the shipping department that you were, you know not supposed to really like have creative outside endeavors that would pull you away from the job. So he slyly walks over to my desk and puts a sticky note on it and I look at it and it just says, I am an actor. and from there I chatted with him on a lunch break he put me in touch with this um, independent film school which was hosting weekend workshops a couple times throughout the year so I just signed up for their producing workshop and from there I learned about the writing workshop and yeah just how it happened so just crazy place I think when you just get a lot of people in one location those random encounters can happen a little more often
1: oh yeah I would agree I'm going to have barking again what is going on yep. around here today? Um, also, you know, what, what to me is kind of amazing is in the age of the internet. Now, you know, I'm in my forties, so I, I did not grow up with the internet. It's something that came along, you know, in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. But the fact that people, well, you guys right now, you're all over the country, yet you can still get together and write and produce this show. Exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, 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 go, I, I was, I'm throwing that out there. You guys go, you had something to say about it. Go ahead and go ahead and follow go it. for it,
2: Dan. Oh, just yeah the, yeah, we, yeah. We, um, we try to do our best to meet day, uh, daily. Yeah. Well, we do text daily, but, um, we try to meet weekly, uh, with the three of us to, to coordinate, um, see where we need to, uh, move forward. If, you know, if we need to focus more on writing this week, or if we need to focus on, um, other aspects of, uh, of production or post-production. Um, so we do, stay in contact uh, pretty frequently and that's that's been helpful the the open communication definitely helps bridge the gap of the of the distance between us
0: definitely and part of what um eric was leading up to with his story about how he got into writing um when the three of us took the uh independent film school's writing workshop it was a weekend writing workshop it was sort of like this almost a cementing period for the three of us. Before that, we had had all these ideas, and um, it was kind of an all-over-the-place, many different types of communication. And and through that workshop, I think we really learned how to communicate as a team. And um, we basically, from that point on, have really done our best to try and facilitate the most... um, respectful and uh, supportive creative environment that would spur us on to levels of our creativity that none of us I think ever really I mean we this is what we wanted for sure and we had dreamed about it but I don't know that individually the the three of us would have had the um, necessarily the the push behind us that having a group having somebody to constantly bounce ideas off of and say hey how can we make this better how can we make our art even better how can we fit the sound effects with the music even better or the music and vice versa um and we're all kind of editors of each other's uh works like uh Eric and Dan had both said that they're that they're writers and I would kind of um Edit some of the the scripts, and Eric is definitely my music editor since he has such a phenomenal background in composing and editing. Um, so when I'm finished with something, or I think I'm finished with something, I'll send it to him, and uh, and then he'll say, "How can we make this even better?" And and there's ne- what's wonderful about the three of us is that we kind of all agreed to like check our egos at the door at that point. Um, all those years ago at that um, uh, workshop. And we were able to really see that the art needed to be kind of the top of the pyramid and everything else was kind of subservient to that, whatever we could do to um, make
3: it the best that we could as a team. Yeah, I think you nailed it when you said cemented. Because I I do think, you know, for people to know right now we're separated, but those first two or three years we were working together, we were all in New York City. And I over those years, when we were brainstorming and then post-workshop, I think we were just learning a lot about how to communicate well with each other. And as you said, check the ego at the door. Cause I think that that's super key if you're going to work with a team. And that's the only way we continue to be successful once Sam and Dan moved out of New York City.
1: So my question is, and uh, so guys, my regular job, I'm a salesman. I'm in my car all day. So I listen to podcasts, audio books, stuff like that all day long. Who have you found to be your core demographic as a listener? Is there, is there a particular kind of person that it, that Marsfall appeals to, what have you discovered about people who are listening to your show?
2: So that's a good question. Um, We really want to appeal to as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. Obviously we do have a disclaimer at the beginning of each episode that there is some extreme content um, because it's Mars and people die. But uh, you know, we we do want to try and appeal to as many people. I would say probably maybe people, um, I guess we've had the most response from people in their twenties or early thirties. Um, I'm not sure if maybe that's just who's listening to a lot of podcasts that, that we, we've, uh, been able to reach out to, but we've also had, um, we've had people who are or older. We've had people even younger. Um, so I'd say really, I guess anyone who's a fan of science fiction is our, is our core, uh, demographic.
1: So on, on a scale of, uh, science fiction, are you guys more Star Trek or more like hard science fiction? Where, where does Marsfall lay in there as far as sci-fi goes? I'd say it's actually kind of a blend of the two. We definitely have hard science. We, we do our research.
3: I've, uh, I studied like kind of a lot of astronomy on the side, just a big in, in interest of mine. And we have a medical doctor that we consult for all of our medical dialogue. Um, my wife is a data analyst and, and our machine learning kind of experts that we consult. And we also have a technical advisor. So we want to get the science right, but. Primarily, this is a fictional show, and, you know, story will always be the number one most important thing, so we do fudge scientific details here and there. But primarily, I'd say it's it's a hard sci-fi, but definitely in our finale episode, we've introduced a bit of a fantasy element to it, and that will become more prevalent in the, you know, following seasons.
1: Okay. Now, can I ask if life outside of Earth exists in this, or am I going to ruin something by asking that question? yeah uh i gave it away by the
3: hesitation didn't i (laughs) i gotta
1: get you i gotta get you in a poker game apparently
2: yeah you'll you'll clean up my friend (laughs) why don't we let's let's say that we're not going to say that life doesn't exist but i don't give anything away yet yeah,
3: there, there's definitely some mysterious, um, energies on the planet that the, that our colonists encounter in the second episode. So, um, yeah, we're, we're building out some mystery.
1: Okay. I, uh, I, I like to ask these questions. I, I always hope I don't ruin anything by asking them, but I do like, like in the Dune series that you mm-hmm. realize that there's animals on other planets, but no other intelligent life forms. Uh, yeah. Because I'm always struck, like on Babylon 5, Star Trek, stuff like that, just. Like, oh, hey, look at all these like human-like things like right here in our backyard, just chilling.
3: Yeah, I will say on that note, um, as I mentioned before, they, they find out right away that there's some terraformation, so there is some plant life. But if there is going to be any intelligent life that we feature, it's not going to be stereotypical, let's you know take a human being and paint them blue and throw them on a, on a red desert world or something. We, we really want to push the boundaries. I think we find a lot of joy by looking at existing tropes in media not just sci-fi, but all all media, and saying, all right, how does this work? Does it still work? And how can we make it better? So if we're going to encounter any intelligent beings, it's going to be like nothing that the average person will conceive of. We really want to push that element. And maybe that's why I say there is a bit of a fantasy hint at it, because we just want to create a truly otherworldly experience. Almost like you encounter with Douglas Adams and Hitchhiker's Guide. Yes, there are humanoid beings but you know there are a lot of other creative things that he came up with that the imagination you know can can do wonders with when reading on a page and that's the luxury of audio dramas that the imagination kind of create the images of whatever sounds you're hearing
1: oh sure um you know i'm gonna ask two other questions and then we'll talk a little bit about the characters and the production of your show but first off it sounded to me like you definitely have some humor in this show am i mistaken on that
2: no you're not um okay while it is it is certainly um you know, suspense and a drama, we uh I I don't want to speak for Eric, but I will. Um we uh <laughs> we firmly believe that humor is a definitely a, an important part of any story. And so it's not a comedy necessarily, but there are comedic elements to it that we that we include. Okay. Yep. And
1: and then the other thing is in at least the the uh uh representation of the population here. Does Mars have any women on it, or is it just a bunch of dudes running around?
2: (laughs) There are certainly women. Um, Actually, the the high commander, so the the person in charge, um, uh, is a woman, and the military commander is a woman, Um, the head doctor is a woman. So lots of ladies, um, lots of uh, pretty awesome ladies on Mars.
1: Okay, yeah. And then, you know, actually, one more question before we head off into another direction. Are there any, in your research, were there any technologies that you. Had to extrapolate on that you were caught off guard by, like actual things that you could see coming up in the future that until you started studying technology, you didn't think was going to be part of the story. Ooh. How much time do we
3: got?
1: <laughs> <laughs> keep it, keep, keep That's a really a, good question. <laughs> keep it brief. But it, well, it's, it's kind of like on Star Trek, you know, back when 50 years ago, the, the pocket communicator was a big deal, but now mm. we we all have them, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, But they never saw text messaging coming. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. Uh, well, we only
3: wrote this a year ago, so mm-hmm. it's hard. And, and we set it 30 years in the future because we do want it to be close to present day. I feel like, you know, the further you get into the future, then you can just kind of rewrite the rules of the standard universe. But we really want today's stuff to influence that. So kind on the contrary, we've done a little bit of research on the tech front, especially anything being developed by Elon Musk and uh, a big component for the show is the artificial intelligence unit which dan voices and it's kind of built through the whole technology i mean through the whole colony on this technology we're calling fractal technology that almost works like a hologram so you know i don't know if that's where things are going to hit in the in 30 years from now but a lot of the research that i've been doing and i know sam and i have had a lot of discussions about this um in relation to elon musk or not but just the approaching uh artificial intelligence revolution where we're going to have potentially these other beings that will be living alongside us that will be intelligent beings and that's just i think going to fully change the entire history of humanity no matter what happens and so we really want to explore that concept in mars ball
1: have you ever considered that maybe much like human beings modern humans replace the neanderthal machine intelligence will replace human beings but it'll
2: still be human because we created them that is definitely I, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, we we certainly have a, a couple um, characters that things could go in that direction if um, if things don't go well. But mm. you know, we we uh, we try to limit the amount of you know super powered AI that we have. So oh, it's, sure. we we don't have too many uh, you know no no robot overlords yet. Yeah. I would say, <laughs> but yeah, we tension- do we have like
3: some mechanical enhancements for the, the military commander she's she's kind of um what would you call it maybe like a cyborg in a in a loose term so
1: bionic perhaps
3: yeah bionic
1: there you yeah. go yeah
3: um so she definitely has some of that for sure but yeah just no your question just kind of blew my mind because yeah who knows like if i mean we can go down that road like are we just like in a simulation right now or like did oh uh, that different? you
1: know that that yeah. question kept me awake for a whole summer
3: yeah, it really, it really did. Uh, well, that's why we love science fiction, right? I mean, yeah, anything can happen.
1: That, that that whole thing, it created an existential crisis for me. It was, it's easy to laugh at now, but I really did like spend like two days just going like, "Holy shit, yeah, <laughs> what if this well, is real."
3: <laughs> we we kind of had that when Sam and I were working on Marsfall. I don't know. Sam was like a month or two into it, where I just came to you one day at lunch, and I just read this really big article on artificial intelligence, and I was like. Dude, forget Marsfall. We've got to work on a show that's like all about artificial intelligence right now because it's going to come and it's going to kill everybody. Like people need to know. So (laughs) that like that that was my crisis moment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can I can see that one coming. Um, Guys, let me ask you a little bit. As you were getting ready to do this, what were some of the things that inspired the story of Marsfall? Um, I don't, you know, maybe things that you had read that. Maybe as a teenager, maybe you remember thinking, God, I want to tell a story at this scale or anything that you can think of uh, in whatever order you'd like to answer.
2: So one of the things that, that we really like with our show is that each episode features a different character's perspective. So we see and hear or rather we hear things only from their point of view. So if it's the AI's perspective we can hear kind of all over the colony because he's in all of the walls and all of the suits but if it's say um the high commander Jackie's perspective we only hear what she hears so um there, there uh, that was something that we that Eric and I had kind of been inspired um as he said by the show Lost how they kind of cycle through different characters uh points of view but also kind of like you mentioned from high school um we had read a a, a Faulkner book called As They Lay Dying which uh in, in high school, Eric and I. And that has each chapter is a different character's point of view. And I'd always been kind of inspired by that. I'd always really liked seeing, you know, the contradictory elements that happen when you show multiple people's perspectives. Um and trying to merge those together and what happens when you, you know, uh show these, you know, what if you have a a bad character's point of view and you start to kind of humanize them and, you know, you you force the audience to sort of feel things they might not have expected to feel. Um and so that's something that we really wanted to explore because a lot of shows that we we've noticed haven't really done that, Um and not but be, not better or worse. It just uh I think it's just an interesting concept that we really wanted to to check out.
3: I think the primary like pop culture example would be the book series The Song of Ice and Fire because of the way that those POV chapters work, and yeah, like Game of Thrones
2: for the. <laughs> For the non-initiated, there. Yeah. <laughs> Although if you're listening to this podcast, wh- wh- how do you not know a song of ice and fire? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're time
1: travelers. You never know with the geeky crowd. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Oh,
2: there you go.
1: <laughs> um, I-, I noticed that song of ice and fire does come up, and you did say that some of your main characters are not going to be safe. Uh, so I have to assume that was one of the uh, one of the inspirations you took from as well.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, Sam's kind of our resident. A Song of Ice and Fire expert, I'd say. I'm
1: <laughs> um, knowing I think how Dan,
3: story points should
0: hit. Dan gives me a run for my money, but yeah, <laughs> we can we can go tit for tat on that one for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was um, I don't know if you guys ever watched Babylon 5, but that was one of the shows that did that early on that first really caught my imagination. Mm. Um, no, I haven't seen that. Let's check that out. Yeah, it's, it's from the 90s. It, some parts of it have not aged well, but other parts hold up just fine. But in season one, at the, after it ends, you come back in season two and the commanding officer's been replaced. Mm. And then, well, I remember I watched a couple episodes early on, wasn't that into it, and then I came back to season three. Well, they had replaced the opening, um, the, the first season opened with, you know, the Babylon Project was the last best hope for peace, uh, and they talked about bringing all the aliens there together. And then I'm flipping through channels real late one night, and season three beginning starts. And it was the Babylon Project was our last best hope for peace, and it failed. And they start showing things blow up, and you realize, like, oh, wait a minute. Things actually changed in the storytelling (laughs) as they went along. And that was not something you saw on TV at the time. Hmm.
3: That's, I mean, that's powerful storytelling. Like, that's, I I think we've, the three of us, have grown quite tired of predictable shows. And I, I know you get this a lot in sitcoms, because... That's what the sitcom is supposed to do. Like the what the humor comes from is characters don't change. But I think even though we love humor, the the arc that you find in characters that are in dramas and how that changes the world around them, especially with a lot of the newest shows that have come out the last decade on HBO or Netflix, um, you know, Breaking Bad, of course, on all and all that stuff that was kind of kicked off by the Sopranos, right? So it's that's so appealing to us in making art is that we want to elicit these emotional re- reactions from our audience. And you can really only do that by creating characters people identify with and then put them in situations that force them to change, whether that's through external conflict or internal conflicts and what they the hang ups that they have to overcome in order to survive.
1: OK, well, let's let's do this real quick. I mean, we've got two of the writers on here um, and two of the voice actors. Why don't each of you pick a character and tell me a little bit about them?
3: Sam, talk about Chip. Sure. So I voice
0: the uh, chief technical officer um, who's thrust into a a role that um, he does not foresee coming uh, named Chip. Charles Heddleston is his name. And he's uh, um, (laughs) kind of. Loosely based on certain aspects of real life, um, but uh, he hails from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And um, I'm from Michigan originally and uh, live here again now after being in New York for a few years with these guys. And um, so Chip's whole M.O. is he's a little nihilistic uh, or I should say he's a very nihilistic and... Um, uh, He's kind of a bit of our early episodes, comic relief, um, but he definitely provides kind of a, a character that um, the audience, I think, can kind of relate to. Like, is he's thrust into a role that he's not really hundred percent ready for. And so he's kind of out of sorts throughout the, the first few episodes. And what am I saying throughout the whole first season? And, uh, and so the audience can kind of connect to that character pretty easily, I think, cause he's almost their voice. Like what's going on? Why, why is this happening? Oh my God. <laughs> like shit is just, you know, getting blown up all over the place. I don't understand anything. And, um, so I, I, I have really, really loved and enjoyed bringing that character to life. Um, and uh, But specifically, the music side of things, I love uh, being able to write for each one of these characters and kind of get to know each one of these characters through um, through the musical aspect of it, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, I could actually spend a whole hour talking about music. I may have to make a note and come back to that at some point. Um Great, so, so Dan, why don't you pick a character and tell us about them?
2: Sure, um, so the character uh i I do play a couple of characters, um but I'd say that the one i I do mainly is uh Andy, and that is the um colony's AI so it stands for artificial narrow dynamic intelligence um we had designed this character to be an AI that wants to evolve that wants to learn mm-hmm. and is inspired by the humans around him so he has a pretty good relationship with Chip, um, but he's still learning in in terms of um, where we are in the colony. He's only been in existence for two years. So while he's able to do so many things, um, he sort of does still have some social hangups from time to time. Uh, <laughs> we have a, a system in place so that um, we have two different versions of Andy. So we have a basics version, which kind of is sort of more automated, more mechanical, um, just kind of running things, making sure the colony doesn't go kaput. Um, you know, making sure there's all their air and food is 3D printed for everybody. And then there's the dynamic side of things where, uh, Andy can actually influ- uh, influence people or, or have, you know, conversations with them. Um, basically, uh, when he's in uh, dynamic mode, he's kind of treated as a human and basic mode is more of like a robot. Um, so we're kind of looking at the balance between those two, uh, and trying to find different ways to, to get him to evolve.
1: All right. And Eric, how about you? Pick a character and tell us a little bit about them. Sure. Well, I'll talk about our High
3: Commander Jackie, because uh, I think of all the characters that we're writing, um, I identify with her a lot. I think she, she exhibits me at my worst at times, um, just because she's definitely uh, more like an aggressive leader, and she's very good at what she needs to do, but she's an artist by trade. So she's kind of been inducted into this private company called Sequoia Industries that is sending them all to Mars. So she's only been working with them for about three years before they launch off of Earth. And she kind of how Chip is thrust into a role he's not totally prepared for. While Jackie is qualified to be the commander on paper, she's never had responsibility like this. And she has, I think, a lot of uh, social hangups as well with not providing you know her other command people like the military commander or the doctor with all the information that they need which causes trouble especially like in the fifth episode when um, one of well chip sam's character gets really sick because the commander didn't tell the doctor about something so that's kind of the the really interesting evolutionary arc that i like about jackie over the first season and this show has four seasons planned and as every char- every episode is a different character's pov but every season arc it is also kind of one character's arc and the first season is definitely about Jackie like having to learn the ropes of running this colony and dealing with all these conflicting objectives because there's another character named Jeff that is quite entitled and believes he should be running the colony and the lieutenant the military lieutenant is older than Jackie she has a lot of experience commanding things so the three of them will butt heads a lot. And also Jackie is more, I mean, she definitely has a scientific background in addition to her art background, but she's a very faith based person. I think she has to kind of reconcile a lot of that conflict with other people that are scientifically minded. And sometimes that leads her to just not really speaking out and then problems can occur. So I find her just to be a very fascinating character. One of those that you can love or you can hate depending on the episode you're listening to, just based on her decisions.
2: There's
1: a lot to unpack there. Okay, um, <laughs> we
3: like complex characters.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know, one of the things let, let's let's kind of talk about this because we're down to about nine or ten minutes now, and I am interested in hearing when you decided to do this as an audio drama. What was the learn, learning curve like for you guys? Whew, <laughs> It was rough. <laughs> uh,
3: I mean, we we didn't we didn't really know what we were doing. I, I Thank God. So we partnered with this recording studio, Sonic Union. They're based in New York City. And talk about random coincidences. I found them through like a friend of a friend through a Facebook post I made when we were looking for just a recording studio to record in, Sam was going to originally do all the mixing and all the sound effects, which I, I think I can speak safely for Sam by saying, thank God, that didn't have to happen. <laughs> 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 the music alone. For, is, for it's, everyone's it's, sake, it's better than <laughs> <yeah. didn't> <laughs> uh, So we met these two recording engineers, Brian Goodhart and Owen Shearer, who work at Sonic Union, and I chatted with them for a few hours, and I went to their studio, I was really impressed by the location. Very top quality place. So they really wanted to get, they, they primarily make commercials. They do the editing for Verizon commercials, you know, for a bunch of, they had a bunch of Super Bowl spots that they do, you know, doing for clients. But they want to do more artistic stuff, like independent films, and they wanted to kind of break into audio drama. So they were interested by my pitch. You know, we had a very good meeting. We're like, yeah, let's work together. Then I get home that night, and I was like, you know, I've actually never listened to anything that they produced. I just assumed it was good. And then right as I was thinking that, I get an email from them that was like, oh, by the way, can we see a script? So we all, like, took this kind of leap of faith together just based on first impressions. And luckily, they thought the script was great. You know, I listened to their samples on their website, and I was like, holy shit. It's really good <laughs> quality. So... um, through that, that solved a lot of the learning curve issues that we, we were going to run into from a technical post-production standpoint. Regarding advertising, um, using social media to promote ourselves, all of that we learned on the go, uh, to varying success. I think right now we've found a great formula. We've even expanded and hired our website designer to also run some social media accounts. All three of us work on a couple different social accounts because that's the thing we've realized pulls in the most new people is reaching out that way. And that was a tough learning curve. And also raising money was another big uh, learning curve for us. And, you know, our Indiegogo did not go very well. I mean, we raised a couple thousand dollars for pre-production costs, which is great, but nowhere close to our original goal just because we didn't know how to fundraise. But Going forward, um, we've learned a lot. We have a Patreon support page right now. If anyone loves our show and wants to, you know, to help us fund season two for just donating $2, you already get a couple perks. And if you donate more, you get a lot more perks like the music soundtrack and other, you know, t-shirts and stickers and stuff mailed to you. So we've, we've learned a lot about how to kind of cater to our audience better and make things fun for them by writing little, you know, stories on Twitter or we're eventually going to record mini episodes very soon. So that's kind of been the learning curve is, is just figuring out the process. But because the audio drama community is so supportive, we've had so much help from, um, you know, Fool and Scholar Productions, the people behind the White Vault and the Liberty Podcast and the Fae Crafters Studio. It's a whole network that we were actually asked by them to join a few months ago. And we're now a proud member of them. They have been super helpful in teaching us kind of the ropes of the audio drama industry and how we can just do things better. And we are still learning for sure. Uh this is going to be a multi year process, but I think we you know, we all feel good about where we are now, where things are going.
1: Definitely. Yeah, Yeah, I've been interested in the audio drama because it seems like Seems like the 1940s, uh, radio serials are kind of coming back. Just, you know, yeah. podcasting is blown up. I know audiobooks are huge. More of us are spending more time tethered to our earphones or our cars. Mm-hmm. How, how have you found people to be, I mean, how have you found the receptiveness to this to be?
2: So great. The, the audio drama community is extraordinarily supportive and welcoming and friendly, which is just a really wonderful thing. Um, we've met so many incredible people who, are so passionate about podcasts and about, um, about stories. And it's, it's great. We've really been very lucky. Um, we haven't run into, you know, too much negativity, which I have, I feel like you find literally everywhere on the internet now, but, uh, it's, it's just been really nice to have people who, you know, support our work, who who love what we're doing, who, you know, they also are doing incredible things that that we've, uh, we've become huge fans of. Um, so it's been really nice to be able to meet these – or well, <laughs> some, some people in person, some people online. Uh, but just to be a part of this wonderful community that's just been very, very positive.
1: All right. And we are running down on time quicker than I thought. So I think I may have to see if you guys want to come back on in the future and talk about some other stuff. But, great. Um, yeah. I mean, that would be great to come back before we do our Season 2 launch because yeah.
3: I know for sure – like. Um, one thing we didn't get to touch on, unfortunately, is the music. And it's just in the audio drama world, very few uh, fictional podcasts are scored with mm-hmm. anything beyond even a theme song. I mean, most of them don't even have that or they get free stock music. But, I mean, if we have, like, just a minute or something just, you know, to talk to Sam real quick.
1: Yeah, here, um, let me, process. you know what I'm going to do? Hold on. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pause the timer. Actually, I'm going to okay. stop the timer. And we'll talk to Sam, but uh, let me make sure I do this because I don't want to go it off while we're talking. Okay. So, nope. Sam, tell us. You know, it's true because, you know, I use production music. Everybody I know uses production music that you can get for a couple bucks and no royalties. I do have somebody from a pretty famous punk band who's going to do kind of a play on the Flash Gordon theme for me. But oh, nice. that's always that's always like a one day in the future thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So Dominic Davi from uh, Tsunami Bomb, if you're listening, I'm still waiting for that song. Uh, <laughs> that being said, uh, Sam, you know, and actually I am, like I said, I could probably spend an hour just talking about the music. But Sam, tell us a little bit about composing music for an audio drama, but also about the difference maybe between the theme for a show or a theme for a scene, a theme for a character, where you get your inspiration from and how you go about putting it together.
0: Absolutely. Um, I'll try to be as succinct as I can be, um, with the little time that we have left. But I think that, uh, what was so intriguing to the three of us about audio drama is that since we have no visual, uh, aspect to this medium, we're going to have to do something a little extra to kind of gravitate our, our listeners' ears toward characters, toward, um, locations. You already, you know, hit the, um, the nailhead, Jeremy, saying that um, you know, talking about the difference between music uh, that are is character driven and that is location driven. So my whole philosophy about my composing for this was based on uh, light motifs um, or small musical motives that are attached to a character or a location or a time and. Um, these were actually v- very much invented and popularized by um, the opera composer, Richard Wagner, um, who would have a certain instrument sort of represent, or a group of instruments represent um, a specific theme for a character. And that would evolve over the course of the opera. And so that's my, my philosophy on, um, since we have point-of-view chapters, each chapter is s- centered around one character so that chapter is basically centered around that character's theme. And um, so I've written themes to represent each character that we have um, in the show that is uh, that comes up. And basically any speaking role that, that you hear, that character probably has a theme. Um, now, it might not be as overt or as noticeable as some other characters' themes are. Like Jackie's is very obvious when she's speaking. Chips are very obvious. Obviously, the main characters are going to be a little more overt. Um, but throughout this whole season one uh, post-production process, Eric and I kind of developed a system to denote six different types of, and I'm not going to go into each layer or level of this, but um, six different types of music and uh, from e- anything from atmospheric and background or uh, silence even can function as uh, as a moment in time that we're trying to highlight the fact that there isn't any music. Um, And all the way down to like a cinema, like almost more movie-like sequence of uh, where you're trying to give the landscape a listener, a view of the landscape or of a sequence of events that are taking place very rapidly, maybe the action's rising so the music rises with that. I think very much we're thinking of this as uh, as close to um, a movie sound as can possibly be in your ears. Um, and so that was basically the development of that, but... I just have been adding more and more instruments and as my understanding of the um the fictional world that we are building deepens then the music actually deepens too and I think you can hear the evolution from our first episode all the way through the eighth episode of this first season um you can definitely tell that there the music is vol- evolving as the characters are evolving themselves and the story goes
3: okay uh well yeah and it's also a lot of music too that sam is doing as i mentioned before maybe most shows might have a main theme that might be a minute half a half a minute long if that i mean some shows don't even have that we our first season totals about four hours and 15 minutes i think if you were to look at all nine of our episodes uh and over three and a half hours of that time has music underneath it, maybe even more. So that's just crazy. And we're talking all original. Like Sam didn't use any stock music. We do feature a few movements from some cello suites by Johann Sebastian Bach, as Jackie's mother plays the cello, so she listens to those recordings. And Sam is a phenomenal cello player, so it was a natural fit to have him record a few cello movements as well that appear in the show. But otherwise, it's all... Um, assembled by him electronically with synthesized instruments and some live cello music that he also records and puts together. And truly impressive that you can have all these themes weave together. And I know he mentioned the opera works of Richard Wagner. If you're not familiar with that, I think a prime example would be the series Star Wars. Where you know when you first see Luke in A New Hope, you get you know bum 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 bum, you get that star that Star Wars Luke theme. I mean, Darth Vader in The Empire Strikes Back with the trombones always doing the bum, bum 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 bum, you know that's the Darth Vader theme. And Sam has taken that model and crafted these themes, then can weave them all together with different instruments, and it's truly quite the feat to undertake, I'd say. Yes. And that's why he's my music editor,
0: <laughs> and he used to
1: speak about it. <laughs> well, well, I assume this Richard Wagner is, is related to Richard Wagner, the, uh, the German uh, composer and uh, yeah. opera writer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I do want to point out that uh, how sound can have, like, a, an effect on people that they don't even necessarily realize it. Um, I was watching, again, last night with my grandson, The Empire Strikes Back. And Boba Fett, when I was a little kid, and you know, the, the send in your UPCs, get a Boba Fett action figure. Boba Fett was like the big deal. And the I, best find, one. yeah. Well, and, but I figured out a few years ago, I think what really did it was we, us kids that grew up in the seventies and early eighties, we grew up on cowboy movies and we knew mm-hmm. what a badass was supposed to look like and sound like. Well, when Boba Fett first walks into that room, with Darth Vader after Lando betrays Han and Leia. Spoiler alert, everybody. Um, you have to listen for it, but you will hear a spur hit the ground when he steps into the room. Oh, wow. Whoa. Subconsciously putting into the back of your head that this guy is some badass gunslinger.
3: That is some cool shit. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> yeah, go, that's dope. Go back and watch it and listen for it. You will catch Because I've told people that before, and they're like, bullshit. And then the next time I talk, to are like, oh, yeah, by the way. But then, <laughs> but then the next time you look at it as well, realize that Boba Fett's color palette is the same as Clint Eastwood's in the, um, the spaghetti westerns he did.
2: Huh. His yeah. poncho
1: and everything. He is the man with no name. It is right there on the screen, but more importantly, buried below the layers of everything else. It's right there in the sound.
0: Wow. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. All right, guys. Well, this, um, you know, it started off a little slow, but it picked up and now we're well out of time. <laughs> so let's, uh, Eric, uh, Dan, and Sam, thank you guys for coming on. If people want to find out more about Marsfall or maybe some other projects you're working on, where can they go?
3: Yeah, I, as we said before, Marsfallpodcast.com is our main website. You can also find us on whatever your favorite podcatcher that you use to listen to podcasts. Just search for Marsfall. That's just one word. And, uh, you know, regarding our individual product uh, projects, we're all fairly active on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Eric Saris. You can find Dan at Dan Lovely. And you can find Sam at Esbose1, the number one. Uh, and, you know, occasionally we'll tweet about anything coming up. I know Sam has some music performances in Michigan. You know, Dan is acting out in Los Angeles, and I've had a couple projects for composing some stuff and writing some stuff so you know we'll be tweaking about that and we have a couple other interviews coming up as well so happy to talk about more Marsfall with other people but anything big you know related to Marsfall especially is always going to be posted on the front page of our website so check in now and then there you can also sign up for our newsletter as well uh you know we send you know one maybe two out a month so we don't like to spam people but
1: we just keep people updated on what's going on with our project Awesome. Well I just went and followed you all on Twitter.
2: I just got the notification. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Very oh, good. It, you can find Marsfall on Twitter as well at just at Marsfall Pod. You yes. better already be following that. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Good um,
1: day Good save on that. <laughs> yeah. Way to promote, guys. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um all right. Well, everybody else you can catch us at geekishcast.com. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash geekishcast. I tweet from at the Geekish I am on Twitter, but it's usually just pictures of my dogs, beer, or cosplay girls. So yeah, that's that's up to you. Um <laughs> All right, guys, I do appreciate it. Thank you very much. We will uh we will come back and do this again, I'm sure.
3: Great, thank Thanks. you, Jeremy. Thanks so much for having us, Jeremy.
1: All right. Thanks a
3: lot, Jeremy.
1: You it was wonderful. You bet. And so this is Jeremy for Eric, Dan, and Sam saying bye-bye, everybody.